you know, just going to church and reading the Bible and just doing this stuff is not enough. There's that existential side where you have to actually engage with God in more than just a recited prayer, but actually talk with God and let him talk to you, let him ask you questions. I mean, to me, that's really what tills the soil. I have to start wrestling with questions that I don't necessarily want to wrestle with. You know, maybe there's things in my life that I know need not be there. Well, God, what do you think of that? And then I know you're not, you're not pleased with that, but how do I get out of this? You know, how, how do I not think that way? Episode R050 features Bill Stuckey. Wait a minute. We're 50 episodes into the Reboots podcast? Wow. Couldn't have chosen a better guy to celebrate episode 50 with. Bill Stuckey is a systems guy who has built and sold technology-related businesses throughout his career. When Bill discovered a systems framework during his theological studies, his approach to faith, family, and building his latest small business radically shifted. Bill is also a former neighbor, and his wife and my dad grew up decades apart in Danville, Arkansas, population 2,400. 20. Here's Bill's story. Hey there, you're dialed into Reboots, featuring stories about people who have been forced to start over in life or in business, all walks of life, anonymous or named, high profile or low down, stories with heart, soul, and grit. Because knowing and sharing our stories is essential for living a life of joy, experiencing healthy relationships, and impacting the world around us in a positive way. Here's your host, Tracy Winchell. Hey, Bill, thanks for inviting us into your life today. It's so good to uh, reconnect with you. I mean, like, we were neighbors for a long time. We were. We were. I miss you very much. I go by the house periodically, and and there's different people there that I don't know. <laughs> anyway, I I do miss you. Well, I miss you guys too. It's a, a fun neighborhood, yeah. and I was blessed to live there. But you know, I kind of, I kind of like living out here in the country, a little bit east of Fort Smith in Lavaca. So, oh yeah, having fun. Sure. Okay. Yeah. We're reconnecting because you're working on a book, and you've started a new business venture. So, tell me about all of that. Start wherever you want to. Okay. Oh, let's see. I was. Um getting somewhat bored several years ago with uh, my life. I'd been running a company for 16 years. I'm somewhat of an idea person, ADHD, whatever. And I have a lot of ideas, most of them which are not very good, but a few of them I think can get some traction. And then post thinking I, I would like to do something else, we actually merged a telecom business with another company, which is out of Lavaca, Pinnacle Communications. So that really relieved me to a large degree of the burden of running a company day by day. So it got me thinking more seriously about how do I spend the rest of my life? You know, I'll be 67 actually in March, and I still have a lot of ideas, a lot of energy, and I just wasn't ready to hang up the towel, so to speak. So 
uh, once the merger took place, I worked for them for a couple of years and uh, started thinking more seriously about starting another business. I had actually created this IT department within the telecom business about seven or eight years ago to help our current customers with their internal network needs. I mean, the telecom was taking care of the internet and the phone, but a lot of customers would say, hey, can you come help us with some network issues or some computer issues? And so we started this IT department and that has grown over the last seven years or so. But uh, I just couldn't get away from the fact that I love technology. And if I was going to go into another business, why not just take something that I had already created or helped create six or seven years ago, extract that from the telecom business and start running it as a separate entity. And so that's what we did as of August of last year. I bought that business and am running an IT services business, which I truly love. I, I've had a couple of computer businesses in the past. And so I'm kind of going back to my roots to some degree. Mm. Well, you also have a history with IBM and systems and stuff like that. Yeah. Which came first, the the first time you were in, in the IT services business or actually working for, I guess, the big daddy? Big blue, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Not to be disrespectful, but, you know, big blue is big blue. Yes. Which came first? Yeah. You know, I went to college to become an engineer and uh, got an industrial engineering degree from the University of Arkansas. During that time, which was in the late 70s, I had several offers. Engineers were in high demand. But uh, IBM was one of the one of the suitors, and so I interviewed with them. Computers were really just kind of at the forefront at that point in time. So I took a job with IBM and moved to Little Rock for a period of time, and then was married about six months later, and moved the family, or my wife and I moved to Fort Smith, and that's kind of where I started my technology career. One of the things that you said in the intro is that you are an idea guy. You have a lot of ideas. And then these are your words, not many of which are good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> See, are you selling yourself short or you just be honest about your approach on the importance of generating a billion good ideas for one great one? Yeah. Well, I, I think, you know, you have to generate a lot of ideas to come up with a good one. You have to have people to bounce those ideas off of. And and sadly, not sadly for me, but for my wife, she gets to hear most of those. <laughs> I can tell when her eyes roll that oh, that's probably not a very good idea. <laughs> well, y'all have been married a long time. So she, yeah. you actually want her to sort of be your filter. And, and she's seen enough of your good ideas to really be pretty good at evaluating, right? She really is. I mean, I there's no doubt about it. If I have something that's really bothering me, really, you know, a decision I have to make, a question about an idea, she's definitely the one that I go to. And if she doesn't quite understand it, we'll talk about it more. And maybe we sit on it for a day or so. But generally, we'll both kind of come to the same conclusion. Once I talk it out, once I verbalize it, it's much easier to determine, hey, this is a good idea or not so good idea. And she confirms it most of the time or, or she'll just say, no, that's a terrible idea. 
So, are questions sort of the the filter that separates a good idea from a bad idea in some ways? Well, I think so. Yeah, I mean, questions kind of unearth the things that are down deep. That's one of the things that I I feel like my life has been going through the last three years. It's kind of tilling up the the hard pan if, from an agricultural metaphor there. Yeah. So so explain that to someone who has never been behind a plow or atop a, a, a tractor in her yeah, life. Yeah. <laughs> well, not that I've been on top of any tractors, but... <laughs> Me either, except when I was three. Yeah. Well, if you were raised in Yale County, you know at least what a tractor is. Yeah. And Independence County and all of that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. So talk about the... Uh, the hard pan. Yeah. The hard yeah, pan. Yeah. Well, hard pan at least my definition of it is, you know, dirt that has not been tilled in many, many years. Okay. It's just, it grows, grows some grass, maybe grows some bushes, trees, whatever, but it, it's just hard soil that needs to be aerated and uprooted and turned over. And farmers will tell you, you've got to till your soil in order to make a good crop. And so in my life, I had to till some soil that had been become somewhat hard. You get in routines and you get in thought patterns that probably, you know, some are good, some are not so good. And many times in order to change your life, it requires that soil or, or your soul to kind of be churned up a little bit. And so there's several ways that that happens, but hard times will churn it up. Some big decision in your life will churn it up. There's different ways, but you've got to churn that soil up. Is it fair to say that you're kind of still in the throes of a reboot because now then the decisions have been made, your career and your life's trajectory is changing, but now then you're still in the process of seeing the results of that or maybe even understanding where you're going? Is that fair? Yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, we all see through a glass dimly, right? Mm -hmm. I wish we could see into the future a little bit more. So we have to take the steps that are kind of laid out in front of you. So I pray and I just really meditate on what God wants me to do. And much of the time, it's just a day-by-day -day thing. So, yeah, the decisions that I made six months ago, I'm living out right now. And it'll continue to grow and turn. And this new business is very exciting. I, I love to be in technology again. But more than anything, I just, I like the ability to create something and watch it grow. That's kind of where I am right now. I'm, you know, I'm on the creative side. I'm trying to grow this business. And uh, that takes some vision for sure. But really, you have to step it out day by day. And that's, and that's what I've trying to learn to do is to just take it a day at a time. I think it's fascinating, Bill, that you know, you've, you've got an industrial engineering degree, mm -hmm. and yet you seem much more fueled by the creative process. And there's sort of the stereotype that those two things can't coexist together. Yeah. I, I think that's interesting. What What is it like to live in both of those worlds? Is it conflicting to live inside your head sometimes? It is. Oh, so conflicting. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> I've taken a lot of personality tests, a lot of aptitude tests, and my wife and I laugh about this a lot because, you know, if there's four quadrants, you know, and your personality is going to be one of those, 
I normally end up very close to the middle. It's like, I'm not distinctively anything, okay? So I'm not super engineering. I'm not super creative. I got both, <laughs> both of those attributes working inside, which, uh, you know, is my life and I love it. And I thank the Lord that, you know, he's given me what he's given me. But it's kind of interesting to live in my head sometimes because I, I do get conflicted. Hashtag me too, Bill. <laughs> That's good. I mean, seriously, it can be interesting. Yes. Let's kind of go back to the basics of what life was like for you as a kid. Were you always kind of part creative, but also partially a systems guy? I think so. I mean, were, were you always a good student? You got to be kind of book smart, mm -hmm. as we would say in Arkansas, to do what you, you do, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, we're all gifted in different ways. I think a lot of my gifting, and I, I didn't realize this when I was younger, but I did have a math aptitude, but I also had a music aptitude. And it's interesting that a lot of times those two aptitudes kind of go together. Yes. So... The creative was more, you know, I was in a rock and roll band when I was in high school and early no college. No way. Yeah. Yeah. I know you can't tell these days, but uh, I did have <laughs> some rock and roll looks when I was graduating from high school. So I had that creative side. I had the engineering side. I, I wanted to get an engineering degree. And I, you know, looking back on it, I can't really tell you that I just had a driving desire but I just wanted to be really good at something. And so I was good at math. I was good at 3D visualization. I was good at taking, like I said, a lot of data and summarizing it into a more succinct form. So I said engineering, you know, would be a good thing for me. So that's, that's when I decided to go to, to Georgia Tech down in Atlanta and moved down there and never been away from my family or parents or anything. So it was kind of a stark reality when I got there that there was no support system. I was just on my own. And, you know, I made some good decisions, but probably more bad decisions than the good decisions. So uh, <laughs> my studies were, were good in high school. They could have been good my first years of college, but I decided to to do a little more partying than studying, I think. <laughs> <laughs> and how'd that work out? Oh, you know, you can imagine. You can lengthen it out for a period of time, but it comes back to bite you. And uh, my grade point was so bad at the end of my stay down there that I could not even get into the University of Arkansas. So that's... Oh, wow. Yeah. The yeah. party school, the, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. And that's, and that's really when my first real big reboot happened was I had a fraternity brother that was definitely one of the biggest partiers at, at the fraternity. And he and his girlfriend, at some point in time, close to the end of my stay there, they came to Christ. I mean, one day they were wild banshees and the, other, uh, the next they were like these peaceful, calm, happy, smiling all the time people that it was like, what in the world has happened? So, I mean, they really had a 180 turnaround in their life. And it got me to thinking, Bill, what are you, where are you going? What, what are you doing? And I had been raised in a church, but, you know, not given a lot of thought to religious things. 
in my late high school, early college days. And so this got me to really thinking. And one day, one night laying in bed there in the fraternity, I just, I looked up and I said, Lord, I, I don't know who you are really, but I know that I need you and I need help. And mm. really, I think from that day on, my, my desires changed, I think more than anything. My desires to, to get out of that situation to come back home, kind of get started over, get rebooted. That's what happened in 1973. Well, lucky for you, Bill, because, you know, I, I had that thing where I'm like, I need to live life differently. Mm-hmm. And I was, I was like in the fourth grade when this happened, but it didn't fix my life. And then I found that I was an adult who thought I knew God, but yeah. actually was playing God a lot. And so for me, mm-hmm. this relationship with God and this transformation, this salvation thing, mm-hmm. it was like, you know, somebody came by and maybe Jesus came by and yanked me out of the pond and said, hey, I saved you from death. And then it was like, well, now what am I going to do with my life? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I thrashed for years and years and years. So yeah. I don't know that I'm certain my transformations have not been instantaneous. No. They've just been over time. Yeah. Does that make sense? Oh, it's totally. like a system. Yeah. It's like a system. I mean, you have input, process, and output, right? <laughs> well, you you do. And you know what I figured out, Bill? Don't tell anybody. But I think I figured out that Jesus was a systems guy. Because in the Sermon on the Mount, he gave us the Beatitudes, which St. Augustine came through and systematized. And now then through the years, they have evolved into 12-step programs. Yeah, yeah. And that just fascinates me that, first of all, Jesus was a systems guy in his teachings. And that second of all, as part of his system, he tells us what to do when we screw up. Yes. Oh, I don't have, he, he's not surprised when I screw up. No. Wow. He's not offended either, you know. Well, he's not. Mm-hmm. He, I, he can take it. Yeah. How long ago did you figure that out? Because I'm just figuring that out, this out, Bill, in the last <laughs> five or six years. Oh, my idea of God growing up was he was a God who, who created the universe. He created the world. So, you know, that, that was always a wonder to me, but I also thought that he was a little bit like the teacher and a ruler in his hand. And you tried to touch something over here and he would slap it. You know, I I lived with that to some degree. So it was, I was somewhat legalistic in my thinking, I guess you could say uh, that if it was a, a cause and effect thing. If, if I was good, then everything was good. But if I was bad, then he would whack me. You know, it, it wasn't that long ago, really, maybe 15 years ago, that I really came to a much greater understanding of grace and just that he loves me unconditionally. I don't think I knew what unconditional meant, you know. Me either, Yeah. And it's almost got to be revealed to you. You know, you just can't read about it and say, oh, gosh, he he loves me unconditionally. It's got to be a revealed thing. You know, it's got to be an experiential kind of thing. Nobody can preach you that and you believe it, right? That's so true. 
That's so true. Yeah. And it, and it's definitely been a growing process since then because we, we want so much to have formulas and rules and regulations and, and those all things are good, but they have to be balanced out. And that's part of my book here. It has to be balanced out with the real world and has to be balanced out with the inside world in your soul, you know. Okay, so this kind of takes us to what fascinates me about the topic that you're writing about in the book. Because, Mm -hmm. you know, we've talked about your business reboot, selling one business, kind of spinning off a, a whole different service. And then as part of building a new business, and I guess, is it fair to say, just sort of getting yourself unstuck and plowing those fields. Yeah. You've also embarked on a pretty hefty spiritual journey, right? Well, I, I think so. I think it stems really from that point in time, 10 or 15, and I can't remember exactly when it was, when I really I understood more fully. I can't say that I fully understand it, but I understood it more fully that God loves me uh, no matter if I did good or bad, I mean, Jesus died for those things and they're redeemed and he made peace between God and myself. And so that peace means that he doesn't hold stuff against me. You know, knowing that more deeply, your identity changes. Your identity changes from what you do to what who you are, you know? Yes. So it was more of an emphasis on being a child of God rather than doing the stuff of God. Let me, let me just say here that, that the doing, I didn't, I don't replace the doing. I'm just trying to move over into the more being side, (laughs) the more subjective, the more experienced, you know, I'm I'm just trying to be uh, less legalistic and more at ease with who God created me to be. A recent interview, Reboots interview guest was talking about the same thing, do to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Uh, shout out to my buddy, Caesar Kalinowski. It's interesting. That's the second time I've he- I'm hearing that in the last couple of weeks, huh? Yeah. yeah. So what action steps are you, did you just think, okay, I've got to I've got to do something different because now my identity has shifted to being a child of God. How mm-hmm. how has that identity shift sort of influenced your actions the last few years? Yeah, probably. I don't know if it's complex. I don't know that I've really thought through much of the detail on that, but I know that, you know, just going to church and reading the Bible and just doing this stuff is not enough. There's, there's that existential side where you have to actually engage with God in more than just a recited prayer, but actually talk with God and let him talk to you. Let him ask you questions. I mean, if you look at the Gospels, Jesus probably asked more questions than he did telling you know? Oh, he did. Yeah. So, you know, let God ask you those questions. Let God ask me those questions. And to me, that's really what tills the soil. I have to start wrestling with questions that I don't necessarily want to wrestle with. You know, maybe there's things in my life that I know need not be there. Well, God, what do you think of that? And then 
I know you're not, you're not pleased with that, but how do I get out of this? You know, how, how do I not think that way? So a lot of it is contemplative prayer where you really have to set aside time and think through some of those hard questions. Yeah. Which is coming first, your different style and type of engagement with our creator or seminary? I've always been a lifelong learner. So the seminary was really more of a, a thirst just to know more about Scripture, know more about the doctrines that are laid out in Scripture. Doctrine used to be a bad word to me, but it's really, it, it just means how does this whole theme of salvation, what does it really look like? What does justification look like? You know, what does redemption really look like? So my seminary efforts have really been to kind of feed probably more the intellectual side, although many times, again, that stirs up this inside longing to know God better. You know, if I see this in Scripture and that's not really happening in my life, I go, Lord, why is this, why is this not happening in my life? Mm. And, and he'll tell you. So the seminary is just one side of that. I go to a Thursday morning men's group, and, and really our focus is on hearing God and just to talk about that with other men mm. has been a, a great growth for me because when you verbalize things that you've been thinking, you know, those million ideas that I have, some are good and some are bad. But you, if you verbalize it in a community of trustworthy believers and other people kind of like-minded, then you get more of a, a centered effect. You know, you, you, you don't get off in left field, you know. Mm. And sometimes it helps to have an outlier, you know, instead of just somebody who's completely like-minded, someone who's thinking the opposite of me. Yes. And even when I don't like what she or he says, and I know it's truth, it's like, oh, man, why didn't you just keep your mouth shut? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I'll do it. That's right. And and that's really what started me on, on this grace, more grace path was I read a book uh, from a pastor out of uh, Florida that has become what, somewhat controversial because he's uh, on the grace side. He's, he's way over on like super grace, I guess. I don't know what's, what you call it. What's the book? Oh gosh. You know, I read it seven or eight, 10 years ago, whenever it was. Now I can't think of um, the name of it eh. or not even, when- not even the pastor. Well, once you think of it, um, shoot it to me, and we'll put it in the show notes. Yeah, I will. Yeah, that's I cool. Will. So this guy was way more an advocate of grace yes. than what you were accustomed to. Yes. And what made you decide, okay, he may be right. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I think it was just a inside witness to my own soul and spirit that, hey, this, you know, there's something to this. This is... I think God was really trying to use the book in my life to till up some of that hard pan, you know, that hard heart and get more over into the grace side. So I, I guess I can't get away from that metaphor of tilling the soil because that's exactly right. what it, what he's done in my life. Interesting. Yeah. Well, I want to respect your time, but I'm, I'm fascinated by a thing that, that you have discovered in seminary mm-hmm. and it's a, uh, let's see, I'm looking at the notes. Triperspectivalism? Yes, <laughs> that. I know, you know. And I'm always intrigued by these big words. Yeah. 
even as I'm slightly intimidated by them. So right. kind of walk me through how you ran across this huge word mm-hmm. and why you're so excited about it. Yeah. Just kind of a thumbnail sketch, and then we'll kind of dig in a little deeper as we go. Right. Well, I said earlier that I like to take like a large volume of information and simplify it and categorize it. I'm a categorizer, you know. So I came across this framework somewhere in my studies. I don't know exactly where it was, but there's a theologian. uh, His name is John Frame, and he's uh, with uh, the Reformed Theological Seminary down in Orlando. And uh, he and a cohort of his have been discussing, publishing ideas on this thing called tri-perspectivalism. And there's many perspectives, there's many views of things in the world. But what this does, it says that, that knowledge, or most any subject that you can take, has three perspectives. They're all linked to each other. Uh, you can't really separate them from each other because you can't really understand one perspective until you know the other two. So uh, this tri-perspectivalism, I mean, if, if you think about God, you know, the Trinity, well, that's three persons in one, you know, it's not necessarily three perspectives on God. It's actually three persons, but each person of God has a different perspective. You know, there's a lot of other triads in, in scripture. Uh, Jesus was the prophet, priest, and king. So you've got three perspectives on Jesus. You know, you have the prophet is kind of the authority, the vision taker, uh, the vision maker, the vision giver. The priest is more of the presence, you know, or the inside closeness, presence, kind of the why, why, you know, the experiential side. And then the king is the control and more of the system side. You know, this is how it works out in the real world. So you got those three perspectives, the authoritative, you have the, the real world or the situational, and then you have the inside of the existential is what they call it. You know, why do I exist? Why? It's the priest side. So using that framework, I've, I've just seen it in so many things. I mean, if, if you look at, you know, your life as a, as a husband or a father or even a son or a daughter, they all have these three perspectives. And it's, it's just kind of amazing when you start thinking in those terms. And I applied that to my business in that there's an authoritative side. There's a, what I call the model. And then there's a situational, which is what the market is. Okay, that's how it works out in real life. And then there's the existential or the inside, the, the motives, the motivation on, on the business. So all three of those have to be in balance in order for a business to be, you know, running on all cylinders, so to speak. So you have to have a good model. Your, your market has to, has to fit the model and fit your motive. And then your motive has to fit the market and the model, you know, so they all three play with each other and they all need each other to be fully known. So that's kind of the, the basis of, of the book, which I'm going to call the out of balance business. Uh, because a lot of times we try to segregate these perspectives and focus on them 
without taking the other two into effect. Like there's a lot of books on marketing. There's a lot of books on the model. Right. And then, you know, not so many books on the motivation side. If you talk to any good entrepreneur, he has a passion for that business. And that's where the motivation comes from. You know what this sounds like, Bill? Only more holistic even than, than Simon Sinek's Start With Why? Mm-hmm. Because he's got the what. So you would set an objective or an action mm-hmm. using what. And then you're going to state your why. Why is it that you want to do this thing consistently, repeatedly, in order to make a change in your life or your business? Right. And basically change your identity through the process. And the third is is the how. So these are all a system, but the how is the thing that you're going to do every single day or every single week so that over time you get those changes implemented. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Only in your case, you add a whole different layer to make sure that this one layer of system is linked to all your other what, why, hows in all of these different roles of a, a business or a life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's like you're going back to that 3D thing. You're good at 3D. And this yeah. is almost like a 3D model yeah. of Simon Sinek's what, why, how. Start with why. Historical reasoning says that you have an objective and you've got the subjective. You know, you have a dichotomy, you know. But what, what the tri-perspectivalism does, it breaks the objective down into what I would call the model, okay, the normative, hey, this is the way it's supposed to look, and then the situational, which is this is how it really works out in day-to-day life, you know. The objective kind of has two, two parts to it. That's amazing. All right. I'm going to put you on the spot here. Mm-hmm. Some examples of your young business, your growing business, is there something where you just felt really, really stuck and you applied this and you just kind of keep running it through this system and then it came unraveled and you're like, oh, I get it now. Yeah. Well, you know, some things were pretty obvious. I mean, when, when I first met with our team here after I bought the business, you know, we just had to sit down and we went, we went through this and I said, okay, what about our model is good? What about it is bad? What about our market? Are we viewing the market correctly? Does the market really want our product? Are there things that we're leaving out, you know, that the market really needs that we're not providing? And then, but most importantly, what is the why? Why are we getting up in the morning? I know it's to have, get a paycheck. You know, there's there's no doubt about that. But I want this to be more than a paycheck to you guys. I want it to be something you enjoy. And, you know, it, it was kind of interesting. The one thing that they all said was, you know, we just really enjoy helping people. Hey, that was enough for me. You know, it was like, and so that became part of our mission statement was a how can I help you attitude is part of our mission statement. Mm. So was there one thing that really stuck out? You know, not many people, when we looked at our market, not many people knew about us. And so that's where we're focusing our efforts right now. That's where I'm focusing efforts is to get the word out to, you know, to increase our marketing side. I hired a sales person. We've engaged in a lot of social media marketing and 
SEO, SEM type marketing. So it came down to, hey, people just don't know about us. I mean, we've got a great business. People love us. We rarely, rarely, rarely lose a customer, but people just don't know about us. So that's that's what we're focusing on. And that's pretty normal for startup businesses, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And so you've been through this a few times. Yes, yeah. You know what this is like. You don't have to be terrified of it. Yeah, I, you know, in previous businesses, I didn't really have this framework. I just had a gut feel that we needed to do this, you know, I and mean, we didn't do this or that. But here, having a framework really helps me understand. I can, I can be somewhat confident in our model. I can be somewhat confident in our motivation. And now as we get our marketing going, I can be somewhat confident in that. You're never 100%. It's always a growing, you have to reanalyze yourself every six months, you know. And what's fun is that as you're doing your marketing and you're you're getting feedback from new customers and rejections and and yeses to potential clients, you get to shift your model, right? We do, yeah. I mean, there's nothing in concrete about what we're doing. So if we need to adjust something, we're going to do it, yeah. So motivation, what, what do you think would cause you to say, let's slightly shift or even radically shift our business motivation? Yeah, Be- because you have to look at the other two perspectives. You know, when I'm looking at motivation, I have to look at the market and I have to look at, at the model. So, you know, maybe if the model changes and it doesn't go along with my motivation, then there's... There's either something out of whack with the model or something out of whack with my motivation. So maybe I want to take it in one direction, but that's not really where the market needs it to go. Then I need to shift my motivation. Maybe I'm, I might have had an epiphany or maybe not. Maybe I'm getting the hang of this because your motivation could be in, in this scenario with your business. The motivation could be internal and external or either or. Either or. Yes. Cool. Okay. That's fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, and it's, uh, you know, as you dive into each one of the perspectives, each one of those perspectives has three perspectives, you know, so it's, it just kind of goes deeper and deeper. Okay. Does this work with people in their personal lives, whether it's maybe a spiritual decision or buy that house, don't buy that house relationships? How, how, granular can one take this in your opinion? Yeah. Well, let me take it down to the family level. In my 30s, and you know, I was, seems like I was always starting a business or running a business, and I was very focused on the model and the market, not necessarily my motivations. It, you know, and down deep in my heart, the, the, the thing that I really, really wanted was to be a good dad. But I tended to sacrifice that because I was always thinking about the business. And so, you know, my kids suffered to some degree. You know, we would be driving down the road and my kids would be in the back seat going, Dad, Dad, you know, they'd be asking questions. I would have no idea they were talking to me because my mind was, <laughs> was way off in the business world. So, you know, kind of taking this three-perspective model, I have had a greater motivation to be present in the moment rather than trying to think about the future or regret the past or whatever. My 
goals, so to speak, with my family, my wife in particular, because, you know, we're, of course, still living together. So I've this got is to, good. Yeah, I've got to I be I think there's hope for you. There is. After 41 years, there's still some hope. <laughs> <laughs> well, she's a Danville girl. Yeah. And if, if you're from Arkansas, you, you, you get the significance of, of the free state of Yale County. So, anyway. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> a little insider dirt here. Yes. She's, a, she's a tough lady with a great sense of humor. She's a great gal. Really is. Okay, so the family, being a good dad, took a backseat to business, um, even though your motivation was right. So what was out of whack? I I think I just didn't think about it enough. I didn't think through what my true desires were. You know, my surface desires were to grow the business, to make sure that there was enough money for payroll, uh, you know, all the things it takes to run a business. That's what my focus and it and it overwhelmed my really my true inner deep desire which was to be a dad a good dad and a good a good husband we do that a lot though don't we bill yeah, yeah. because the surface desires are what we see everybody else have and to be honest pretty often the surface desires are what other people demand of us and it's just a lot easier to stuff our true desires and refuse to think about them, right? It is, yeah. I want to put a plug in for a book that I'm reading right now, and that is, it's called uh, Simple Abundance. It's by Jan Johnson, and she's uh, like a spiritual director out in California. If you've ever heard of Dallas Willard, sure. she uh, was kind of an understudy to Dallas, and she now uh, works in the Dallas Willard Foundation to promote a lot of Dallas's teachings and that kind of thing. But, but she's a, a great author in her own right. And she has this book called uh, simple abundance. And it's really about your deep desires to commune with God and to be the person that he has created you to be. But to do that, you have to give up some things and that's the hard part, but it's, it's just a wonderful book. And, and uh, anybody that desires to simplify their life and to come to a, a better relationship with God, I, I think would really, really enjoy this book. Mm, cool. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, we'll, we'll put it in the show notes. Okay. So in your mind, in your experience, what's the best way to get past our surface desires to our deep desires? Is it to work the system? Is it a daily or a weekly habit? How yeah. did you kind of break through? I mean, I guess here we are back to the yeah. the uh, fertile soil analogy, huh? Yeah, yeah. You know, it's it's a combination of those things. Again, you can't take one out and say this is the only way to do it. So I don't know who coined the phrase, but there's one that says beholding is becoming. So as we truly behold God and his beauty and his trueness and his goodness, then we actually become more like him. I mean, you just become what you treasure. You become what you worship, right? Yep. So I would say to me in my life right now, that is the biggest thing. I'm, I'm really just trying to spend more and more time just sitting before God and just saying, Lord, I'm here. You know, I want to commune. I want to talk with you. And then journaling, you know, we, we were talking about journaling before the show. I think that's such a, a good part of it. And then being in a community with other Christians, other like-minded people, so that 
you don't get off balance. You know, you don't get off in the ditch somewhere. Oh, I could go off about community and how I thought I was the exception to the rule that I, God and I could handle each other as it was without a whole lot of people. And that doesn't, that didn't work out well. (laughs) We need each other for sure. We do. So do do you have a specific journaling technique? Do you free write? Do you use a notebook or, or just write on your computer? Anything? I have a a journal, you know, a, a notebook that I take notes and I, I write down things, you know, if, if it's a prayer or if it's a, an answer that I really feel is significant, I, I write it down. I'm not a good journaler right now. You know, I really hope I've got some friends that are, I mean, it's like they almost write every thought they have in a journal, you know? Yeah. And I don't know that I would ever get to that point, but I know that in the morning when I'm thinking and praying and, and uh, it's really good for me to write it down because, because I can go back and look at it six months later and go, oh, yeah, that's that's what he told me then. And I need to be reminded of that. And again, I, the beholding is becoming has, has really become important to me. I think part of that is is writing down what you behold. Oh, that's good. And I'll tell you a secret, Bill. Everybody's got a different way of journaling. I have friends yeah. who are, are frustrated by the traditional journaling techniques. But you know what they do? They write in their calendars. They have a a calendar book, an old school one, and they write down moments of realization. Mm -hmm. And that's journaling. That is journaling. I mean, that's just putting down your thoughts. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things that I want to do is bust the myth that journaling is this whole big complicated thing that results in hundreds of notebooks or pages of realization and happens in the dead of night. For me, these journaling habits take like five minutes. And Mm-mm. of the, mm-hmm. the eight or nine that have helped me, I'm only doing two or three at a time. And sometimes the three is too much. Yeah, It's a five-minute thing in touch with yourself and or in touch with our Creator. Yeah. So so I'm I'm telling I'm giving yourself permission to not beat yourself up because you don't journal like anybody else does. Well, yeah, I I totally understand and the guys in my Thursday morning group give me a lot of grace too, so that's that's good. That's good because if they're not giving you a lot of grace, I'm going to come talk to them, I'm going to come beat them up. Yeah, you come get them. <laughs> <laughs> well, We've talked a long time about a lot of things, and this has been a fascinating conversation. And I, Bill, I, I appreciate your time. I enjoyed it. Oh, gosh, I've enjoyed it immensely. Yeah, it's been great. Yeah. Do you, do you have anything that you would like to pass on to someone who's just really struggling with what comes next in his life or her life, either from a business perspective or a faith perspective. And and they're they're where you were a year ago, feeling really stuck and bored and mm-hmm. not knowing what to do to make a change. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think what comes to me is that don't put God in a box. I mean, he speaks to different people in different ways. So a lot of times we can get ourselves in a hard place because we expected God to do one thing. We prayed and prayed and prayed for this one thing to happen. It didn't happen that way. And so we're kind of mad at God 
were disappointed, whatever that is. But God just, you've got to be open to how he works in your life in particular and not put him in a box. So I would say God speaks to everybody. Wisdom shouts in the streets, but very few people actually listen. Mm. And so you just need to sit down, sit down, be quiet, listen to the creator. He'll talk to you. That's awesome. Don't put God in a box. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Hey, Bill, thanks for your time. And um, thanks for reaching out. I can't wait to share your story with uh, the Reboots tribe. Your Reboots is ongoing, and it's remarkable. And my goodness, isn't that what life is about? A series of Reboots. Oh, yeah, it is. New chapters all the time. So I've loved it, and uh, I wish you the best with this podcast. I, I think it's really reaching a lot of folks for the good, and hope this talks to somebody's soul and spirit. It will. Thanks, my brother. You betcha. Thank you. It's always fun to talk to a systems person and to understand all the different ways that we can apply theological truths to life and business and vice versa. If you're interested in learning more about Bill's business, check out Pinnacle IT Managed Services. There are links to the website and Bill's business Facebook page in the show notes. Hey, are you navigating change? Maybe you're feeling stuck and you just don't know how to start making a change. Check out our brand new Change University portal. It's at rebootspodcast.com forward slash change dot you. Now we're growing our course library every week. So far, everything is free. So check it out. Rebootspodcast.com change dot you. Hey, thanks for listening. I'm Tracy Winchell. Until next time, Dale Valente. We hope this episode has helped you in some way. If so, we'd love to hear from you. Maybe someone you care about might benefit from the Reboots Podcast. It's easy to share from our website, rebootspodcast.com. The Reboots Podcast is a production of Winchell Storyworks Incorporated, a company dedicated to helping businesses and individuals know, share, and live their stories in order to impact the world around us in a positive way and to achieve financial freedom.